previously on Popping Collars. David James Duncan has written other books and collections of essays also, and they're pretty good, but they're nothing like this. And I met him um, once in Bellingham, Washington, where he was doing a reading. And I came up to him afterwards and I said, like, the Brothers K is my favorite book that I've ever read. And he was like, I know. <laughs> he's like, he's like, and he actually said, he's like, it took me 15 years to write that book. I will never write anything like that ever again. He's like, I don't know. It, it's really good. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives in the space between meaning and culture. My name is Greg Knight. I am the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts, Betsy Gonzalez. Where are you, Betsy, and what's going on these days? Oh, I'm on summer vacation, Greg. <laughs> it's pretty Living great. Living the good life. Living the good life of being a chaplain at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. I actually just got back from being with 13 amazing students and one amazing adult from school and one amazing trip leader from Atlas Workshops. But we were in Greece for 12 days exploring the migration crisis as a service learning trip from here. And it was pretty cool. A lot of my ancient Greek came back to me. A lot of my knowledge of the Orthodox Church which is very little, came back to me. <laughs> but it was really it it was an amazing, hands down, amazing trip. And I can't believe I, you know, didn't have to pay to go in my school. Have me yeah. go. It's great. Liz Easton, Liz, can you top that? Where are you and what are you doing? Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but Betsy, um, the good life is the tag line for the state of Nebraska. Is it really? Yeah. So I, I too am living the good life. Is it like on the license plates and stuff? It's on this, like the interstate signs. Got it. Who knew Nebraska was just this hidden gem? It is. Just hiding away in the middle of the country. The Paris of the Midwest, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. I'm the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. I'm coming to you right on the heels of a thousand mile weekend visitations. And uh, our special guest is a frequent contributor to the show. It's Kyle Goodman. Kyle, where are you and what are you doing now? Well, I am living the good life in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> I have moved back home and enjoying every bit of it. And I just got back from two weeks in Louisville, Kentucky in a doctoral seminar. A shout out to my doctoral cohort. I hope you guys are listening to this. You promised me you would. You probably aren't. <laughs> Here we go. This is our 65th episode. And the topic today is 24-hour news channels. So for decades, news programming was a small part of network television schedules. And then with the advent of cable... Uh, came a rise in niche programming with the cable news network being the first channel devoted to breaking news 24 hours a day. Uh, So fast forward to today, and there's no shortage of news channels for a variety of topics or political commentary and occasionally actual news. But a quick question, just to get us started, are any of you consumers of this particular media? Like, does anybody... Does anybody on our panel today actually watch this regularly? 
I, I try to avert my eyes when I'm in a store or in the waiting room having my car worked on and it's playing in the background. I, I just try not to look at it. Does that count as a consumer? <laughs> I don't know. I think consuming in this sense is, are you watching it at home? Like, are you like sort of sitting down in front of the television and turning on MSNBC or, or streaming Fox News? It or streaming or- it from your computer or mm-hmm. listening to it on, on satellite radio. Because now there's all different. It doesn't even have to just be the television anymore. My time being in Greece became a consumer of BBC America. I mean, it was kind of BBC News. I mean, it wasn't really the America was kind of thrown in there, but it wasn't. So I was sometimes I'd be in my hotel room at the end of the day and kind of used to watching a little something. But like your Netflix isn't streaming the things you wanted to because you're in Greece. Like, you know, and Netflix is like, sorry, no, this season of Orange is the New Black is happening in Greece. Screw you. So that wasn't happening. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is the only English station. That's really on yeah. other than watching like Greek news or something in French. So I was doing a lot of BBC America or BBC. So it was very much suddenly this immersion into a European sensibility mm-hmm. and news is breaking all around you. You know, Greece is getting a bailout. Theresa May is in, in a lot of trouble. There has been a tower block fire in England and like all of the things, you know, the, the kid from UVA, and, you know, so it was kind of the same cycle of about five or six stories that would just kind of keep going. What about you, Liz? Do you watch? You you're probably don't even have cable, right? I don't have TV at all, which is a thing I like to say to sound like one of those people who's like, I don't have TV. <laughs> but I do have Netflix and Amazon Prime and HBO Go. And so I consume plenty of television just on my laptop. So, no, I don't. Um, the time when I'm most exposed to sort of cable, cable corporate news is, um, you know, I drive across the state all the time and try to really listen to local radio as much as I can. And mm-hmm. those are often those local stations are often underwritten by Fox News. So the news break that you get in the middle of songs or segments will be Fox News reporting. So it's not the punditry. It's the more straight reporting, which, in my opinion, is still biased. And just as if MSNBC was doing the same thing, it would be biased in their direction, sometimes in sort of shocking ways. So I don't watch it. I would say that as a pastor... I became aware really early on in my ministry, both through pastoral visiting, like in people's homes, and then just through the way that people interacted with my preaching and stuff like that, that many, if not most of my parishioners had some form of cable news on all day long. Even if they weren't watching it, it was on in their homes all the time. So sometimes it feels like a thing that I'm sort of missing a little bit and a part of the conversation that I'm missing because I'm not engaging with it. And it's, a big um, influence in the way that people interpret the world around them. And I I would say we might get into this later, a way that they interpret the gospel. You know, Betsy actually brings up a great point with the BBC point. I wonder if something like NPR falls under this banner. Yeah, I listen to NPR a lot, like when I'm getting ready in the morning and when I'm driving to work and stuff like that. I think it falls. I think it falls in the zone. People talk. Yeah, it's constant information. You're just constantly receiving a different kind of story branding and way mm-hmm. of telling the story, you know, with all things considered or whatever it is, <laughs> your mindset, right? That you like the way your stories are told. You're choosing a, a, a mode. But what we call the most newsworthy is making a choice. 
right? It is, you know, what will be the story when I worked in newspapers? What will be the story that's above the fold with the big, bold headline? You know, we're making news judgment. And that's what we go to school for is to kind of talk about what news judgment looks like, how you show that visually. But everything has a bias to it. And I'm not saying that as a political bias, but it is it's human interaction with the news. I just think it's a fundamentally different thing uh, being hit with all that information at once in, in a way that it's really overloading as opposed to listening to, you know, to one line running through a report on NPR or uh, just kind of the, the boxy, you know, formulaic presentation on a nightly news program. Uh, it, the, the news channel broadcast seems like it's, uh, it's just designed to be consumed in a different way to me. Uh, it doesn't really have a beginning or end. It just runs, you know, runs from one thing to the next. It's hard to even know when the, ch- the program has changed other than maybe the talking head is different. It's just a different thing, I think. I think that what's different from sort of what I can see with um, your 24-hour cable news versus a nightly network news report, too, is that on cable news, there certainly are times when a person or people report the news. But there's also a lot of times when people's um, opinions are on display intentionally. It's like a crossfire type show or, you know, kind of an opinion type thing. And over time, those start to blur together. So I think that consumers of the news have a difficult time being able to tell when, okay, this is supposed to be straight reporting and this is supposed to be um, a more interactive or, you know, whatever type of talking heads, pundit type thing. To me, those are really different and you're filling 24 hours. So you've got a lot of blocks to fill and a lot of programs to sort of compete against one another for ratings. So this is this is going to sound kind of weird, but I lump ESPN in with this stuff, too, because they do a lot of this. They do a lot of punditry and people giving their opinions. And what ends up happening is that ex-athletes or something like that will give their opinion as if it's fact uh, without any data to back them up at all, other than just their opinion. And I'm going to come to going to come to the defense of this is going to sound really strange but uh you know back in the day betsy and i ran an amazing fantasy football team together it was a great team and one of the players that took us to a championship in our fantasy football league was tim tebow Tebow. who that boy all that guy ever did was win football games. He did. And I listened on ESPN for years and years and years about how he's the worst football player ever in the history of the NFL and he needs to be kicked out and all of this stuff. And eventually that became true because people said it over and over again. Uh-huh. Didn't matter what the data showed. It didn't matter the fact that Betsy and I were holding fantasy football championships, riding on the back of Tim Tebow to win it. Yes. None of that mattered. It was, just, it was just the fact that people said the narrative over and over again that got him kicked out of the league. Well, and that's happening in news news now, right? I mean, it's the same thing. You say a thing enough and people start to believe it's true. And I would guess that when you ask people why they did not vote for a particular candidate in the presidential election, many of the things that they would say aren't actually true <clears throat> excuse me they're not actually factual they're they were interpreted to them via 24-hour news and also um i think facebook is a huge culprit in um 
some of this stuff, the sort of interpretation of news on Facebook. But, but I think that's true that you say things enough and enough and enough, and you're in a space where technically, ethically, in terms of journalistic integrity, it's okay to say these things that aren't strictly factual. People, if they're consuming enough of it, have a hard time naturally, as one would, to distinguish between what's truth and what isn't. And I think this idea, the alternative facts idea or whatever, you know, it's not new. So you take a country like Greece that has had an illustrious past and <laughs> so many of the words that we know and love. They, oh, it's all Greek, everybody. It all comes back to the Greek. They have over time, not they're not the big dog in Europe. They're not. And they would like to be seen that way. Mm-hmm. And the people that they have beef with. Like, let's talk about Turkey or Albania or their issue with Macedonia, whatever. That, but they're like between them and Turkey, you know, there's history that is taught as history in those countries about the other country that is not necessarily true, but it's facts because that's because my grandpa was there or it was true. And, you know, the Turks came in, they were beheading people, you know, like whatever it is. It's true, right? And we were on the island of Lesbos learning about the migration crisis and having people repeating to us as fact that refugees are receiving 400 euros a month. And our kids were sitting in the group going, that sounds really high. That sounds weird. (laughs) And in a country going through an economic crisis, to have a group of people who are foreign and outsiders, you're hearing that they're receiving 400 euros and on unemployment, you're getting like max maybe 350 300, like that would get you mad. Well, this country was doing this in the 50s with McCarthyism and, you know, the communist witch hunt. It didn't really matter what was going on and any nuance to the conversation. It was you're a communist or you're not, and we're going to identify you as one and, uh, you know, publicly crucify you. You know, it was all a matter of uh, the court of opinion and had very little to do with, you know, what people were actually saying. It was just about identifying the people in our midst who uh, had an opinion that differed from, you know, the, the party line against the communists. And that's that. Just that being able to play upon your fear that there's so much of news that we watch that is fear based and protectionist based and defensive Uh, Like I need to defend either my position or my family or my home or my rights and kind of what, how do we, when fear really is driving the numbers and the ratings and, you know, because it was, you know, the birth of the true addiction of this country to the 24 hour news cycle Mm -hmm. and the invention of the crawl. What event was it, everybody? Oh, man. Yeah, definitely that 9/11, that 9/11 crawl, and and just the 9/11 mentality of approaching 24-hour news in general, like the way that people would just zombify themselves and watch those buildings come down over and over and over again until they had to stop, until experts had to tell the news agencies, "You are creating trauma, especially in children. You cannot show." So now you never see footage unless it's in a documentary or something, when they're doing 9-11 remembrances, you don't see the planes as they hit, strike the buildings because um, the news agencies were told that that's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And, and it is. I mean, by constantly on local news, by constantly leading with a house fire or a gunshot or whatever it is, they're creating fear 
Yeah, I got to tell you about it. I think I think you're right on with this because I, so I gave myself a, a, a put myself through a little bit of an experiment where I watched like 30 minutes of like Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, stuff like that. All of them had the crawl. You know, you get into situations like CNBC where it's got the stock stuff going on at the same time. So it's like this little box in a corner where somebody's talking to you and then just information just all over the screen. Every time I watched one of these channels, I got angry. And I don't know what that anger was about other than that it was anxiety producing watching this because every single story was listed as a breaking news item. And so it was just, I was constantly on edge as to what was breaking about this now. And it could be totally innocuous. It could be like breaking news. A panda was just delivered back into China from the local zoo, but it's, it's that it's those words, breaking news. It's the graphics that they use. It's the way that they, they, these things are just designed to keep you on edge. And I think that that's how it keeps you know, people coming back for more and more, it is addictive. There is an addictive quality to this kind of programming. What you're saying is that this coming Sunday for worship, at every point in the service that we change the element, breaking news, it's the prayer of confession. Breaking news, you are forgiven. Breaking news, it's time for the first scripture reading. Because I think that this is true of conservative media, of liberal media. It's all about getting you to this point of, you know, just getting you worked up. And, and I don't know that there's any impetus to go and work to do much of anything based on this kind of communication. I, you know, I, I think it's more for entertainment value. Perhaps uh, watching a CNN or Fox News is not all that different than watching the latest Michael Bay Transformers disaster. Maybe the point is to get our blood boiling and uh, to get our, a rise out of us. It's just our in a real life version or our, our way of taking real life events and turning them into entertainment, producing mm-hmm. the content without having to do the writing of the story, uh, just spend something in a way that does get our endorphins going. You know, my experience is that the moral life is complicated. Mm-hmm. Moral decision-making happens in a pretty gray space. Most of the time when we're not thinking about our big blocks like of not killing people or not stealing you know 10 commandment stuff uh, the the moral decision making that we make happens in a very complicated and rich and gray environment and that is what churches i think ought to be helping folks discern mm-hmm. then our news media as it is today is entirely simplistic. It takes these very complicated moral issues and reduces them to sound bites in a way that just is only at odds with, in my mind, a responsible moral life. That doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility to, to read and digest news. It doesn't mean that you don't have a right to formulate an opinion about any issue. But um, that sort of experience of getting fired up about something all the damn time I just don't understand how that could be a fruitful religious life. Yeah, for our students stepping in the middle of the migration crisis on this trip, we all knew stuff about it from whatever filter we had learned things about it. But to then be in the midst of the story and to really see that this is a multifaceted jewel of a situation 
Mm-hmm. This person's opinion, there's this person's opinion, and we're talking one-on-one with these people. We're sitting down with you know, a 23-year-old Afghani mm-hmm. refugee and hearing his story, and this person and that person, and, and really seeing on the ground how complex it actually was. And to then, I now, I haven't, since I've been back, seen a news story on it, right? But I'm sure I will feel much differently about it and kind uh-huh. of say, you know, there's no way you can bust all that down into, into sound bites for me anymore. That's over. That's, that's mm-hmm. been, that's been, I've been ruined to, to sound bite stories on the migration crisis. That's over. But I think that's what's happening in so many pulpits, uh, at least in, in the American South where I serve. Everything is now about easy to digest sound bites mm-hmm. and tropes that are really not all that different than what we hear in these news programs. Mm-hmm. Just tiny little chunks of, uh, of opinion and ideology that are easy to process and you know create a worldview and, and are completely devoid of any of that richness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the minute I start preaching into that richness, folks just sort of tune out. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't, well, because it doesn't allow for you to even recognize the humanity of those who disagree with you. And that's, that's that's where that's where the sin of 24-hour news is really on display is this idea that someone who disagrees with you politically gosh man where we are in our world today someone who disagrees with you politically is evil yep is really the narrative that 24-hour news puts out and they're not and evil this, they're not evil they're human they are they're, not they're evil. as human as you are And this is, to me, a particular area where progressive Christians, I'm saying Christians, but it could be anyone. But if we're talking about sin and popping collars, it's a place where progressives, I believe, particularly need to repent. And I'm saying that as one, that there is this villainizing of people who made a different decision in the ballot box. The silly version of this is the is the dress that went around a couple of years ago is where it gold or is it white or blue exactly yeah. where people were convinced of what the reality of the situation was and i would just say like if you know that's how the world works people are convinced of the reality of the worlds that they live in and you're not going to convince them that that is a black and blue dress you're not going to they see it as white and gold and the the thing that the thing that 24-hour news does in a really in a really sad way is that it it just it tells you over and over again oh those black and blue people ugh mm-hmm. can't trust them can't trust them they can't even see that it's a white and gold dress for god's sake you know <laughs> and it's the like only thing now, interesting about the dress <laughs> is that it's both colors right otherwise, otherwise who cares right that's the whole <laughs> point the whole point of it is that people see difference uh, and yet we find a way to argue about it so it, it it does then say okay so the skill that we need to have is how how are we compassionately with one another listening to mm-hmm. one another actually listening and not formulating what we're going to say next. Betsy said something about orange is the new black at the beginning, because I was just watching the new season Mm -hmm. and there was an episode just on where one of the, one of the girls is watching 24 hour news on the Mm -hmm. television. And she's like, I really like watching this. And somebody asked her why. And she's like, I don't know. I think, I think when I just, just watching like all of this information just makes me forget about what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. 
Yeah, I think that I think that it's an easy trap, particularly for addictive personalities to to kind of fall into that. Well, what's happening now? If there's always something that's breaking and there's always something that's, you know, doesn't this give your life a lot of energy? <laughs> and you know, and then it's like, oh, that I can I can much more easily pay attention to this than perhaps the tough things that are going on in my own life. Yeah. So now is the time in the show where one of our hosts introduces us to something uh, that we have all missed, but we all need to know about. It is time for staff picks. And Betsy Gonzalez has our staff pick this time. Betsy, what is your staff pick? My staff pick, and this is going to be shocking for everybody because we know that I have a hard time reading. Um, and it's a book. We don't know that. What are you talking about? I, don't, I, don't, I got out of the and I was like, take that reading. You're like, I'm done. I'm done with <laughs> No more of this. And, I, and in my mind, it was like, I'm taking a break, right? Yeah. Then the break kind of kept going. And then it was really only reading on a, on a need basis. Um, well, see, y'all are going to be really happy. So this book actually links off of one of the very few books that I have read <laughs> coming out of seminary. It's written by the same author. Her name is Peggy Ornstein. And she wrote a great book that I can see like right now on my bookshelf. And it's called Cinderella Ate My Daughter. Mm-hmm. So I read mm-hmm. it around the time when my daughter was going through uh, her heavy princess time and kind of talking about, you know, and for me, of course, and for all of us on this podcast, the intersection of the popular culture of selling princess culture mm-hmm. and what does that mean to girls? And so Peggy's daughter, you know, even though she's like, I believe she's Bay area, you know, and had raised her daughter with all of this expansive view of gender and what being a girl is about, you know, here's her daughter. Princesses. Princess. <laughs> look at, look at, look at Mr. Florida there. He's just struggling. Right. right? So anyway, but he li- Greg lives in Princess Land right now. I, I am in Princess Land. I can walk yeah. through this door right here, and I will be in a world of glitter and pink and purple and lace oh, yeah. and all of that. So essentially, this new book that Peggy wrote that came out in uh, I think March of this of uh, March of last year because it's been on my list for a long time is the moving forward and evolving of that as her own child has gotten older. So it's called Girls and Sex, Navigating mm-hmm. the Complicated New Landscape. And you know, I work with a lot of teenage girls here at school. And then I have a daughter who is now 10 and is preparing to kind of enter into this world. And I've only read the first chapter so far, but it is at the same time, like simultaneously frightening and also really, I don't know, it puts the culture in a context. You know, the first chapter is all about 
the culture of I'm free and liberated. So look, I can wear whatever I want to and I can dance however I want to because I'm in control of my body. Well, at the same time, is that being marketed to you that that's what Mm -hmm. being liberated and in control looks like? Is it Miley Cyrus dancing with Robin Thicke and doing her thing with the tongue and the stuff and the stuff, right? Is that liberated womanness? Hear me roar. Or is that a commodification of, of what? being powerful looks like um, or sexting and those sorts of things. And just kind of the pressure to, to send people pictures and the pressure to kind of, to do all of that. And don't be a prude. You know, you don't want to be too prudish, but you don't want to be too loose. And the girl's trying to hit this middle tone all the time, but she has a lot of professionals involved in the book as well as just interviews with young women all over the country that she did uh, as she went around to, to talk about other things. And it just, the research itself and the real school, real experiences of girls. Uh, I found it a little bit scary. Yeah. Really glad that I'm thinking about it now and, you know, trying mm-hmm. to trying to kind of do that. Well, at the same time, knowing I can't keep my child from it, mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. will be where she's walking into. And when I, you know, grew up with all of my churchy sex eddy stuff you know, she's right on the, you know, when, my, when in doubt, my mom sent me to another sex ed thing in another church. Like that was kind of how <laughs> sex ed worked in my life. It was like, oh, well, the Methodists are doing this thing and you're going to go over there. And, you know, like, what? you know, you know, we had, you know, the spirituality of sexuality and like all of that, you know, and I can talk all of that all the time. But what does that message look like now? What am I up against? What is culture yeah. saying really, really loud? You can find Popping Collars on the web at uh, poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash poppingcollars. You can find us on Twitter at poppingcollars. You know what? We also have a Spotify playlist on our website that you can check out. And we have an Instagram feed where we will post Betsy's staff pick so that you can follow that link. Uh, also, we are featured each and every single time on the Episcopal Cafe. They don't have fake news at Episcopal no. Cafe. I can tell <laughs> no you that really. right now. No fake Real news there. Real news. And it's not 24 hours. You yeah. know, they take some time to report their news. So, uh, EpiscopalCafe.com. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. And with that, that is Popping Collars for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Kyle. For coming on the show, we will see you next time. Keep those collars popped. Good job, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs>